Hey everybody, it's Aaron with Coraline Sporting Goods and Hunt Hard Talk Free. This episode's brought to you by Ballistics Custom Turrets. And on this episode, I've got Wayne Sawchuck, a local resident here, Raleigh, I guess, just north of Dawson Creek, yes. and Larry Warren. Where are you from? Um, originally, I come from the Yukon. Okay. Right now, I'm uh, in, in central Alberta, I guess, right now. Excellent. And uh, both these gentlemen are artists that will be... Um, at a show at the Art Dawson Creek Art Gallery starting Thursday. There's a video, we'll get into the specifics of that, but Thursday there's a movie at KPAC. Friday there's the opening with limited numbers, and then Saturday there will be food, alcohol, and the full meet and greet, M-E-A-T, because there's going to be a smoked meat truck there from the meat doctor. So, Right on. Uh, you're two of three artists that will be on exhibit. Is that yes, correct? that's right. Okay. And uh, Larry, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, your connection to the Musquaka Cheek. I, I guess I left that out. The entire art mm-hmm. gallery, or the art showing is based off the Musquaka Cheek watershed. Yeah. Um, well, I guess it depends how far you want to go back, but originally I come from the Yukon. I was okay. born and raised up there by Whitehorse, outside of Whitehorse. Beautiful countryside. And, oh, the great Yukon's incredible place. But, and... Uh, once I graduated high school, I started guiding in the Yukon. Yeah. When I was 17, I started up there. Yeah. And uh, I eventually transitioned down into BC here and started guiding and whatnot. Uh, and uh, spent, well, just about 46 years out there guiding. Last 20 years I've been outfitting, had my own outfit. Yeah. And, uh, in BC? Your in own BC, outfit? Gotcha. In Northeast BC. And... Uh, this last season I've sold out but um, uh, yeah I've been in in the mountains for virtually most part of my life what was the name of your outfit well Toshody River Outfitters for anyone that's because yeah. <laughs> I bet oh, you a lot on, of people know about it yeah oh yeah we were on the Toshody we had yeah. Toshody River drainage it was uh, the old Ross Peck area Don yeah. Peck yeah. prior to that and uh, we spent 20 I guess it's about 22 years in there yeah. as outfitters and, uh, but I've, yeah, I spent my life in the mountains, into the, on the slope here before it was the Musquakachika even, I started back, like, back, well, Wayne would know, back in the years when, you know, for, for you know, Stone Mountains, far as on the Mesa yep. River and yep. whatnot, and um, so, yeah, I've been in the Musquakachika for years. I've seen it right from the beginning. I've seen the so I've, I've been connected with the Musquaka Chica through the through my life as a guide and outfitter. You've probably seen some serious changes in that time, hey? Well, the, the mountains never change. The country doesn't change. Yeah, the people, the, the access, the, the dynamics around it change. Yeah, and cause it to to become a different place um, just because of the different circumstances mm-hmm. the mountains are still the same they'll still make you puff and huff and <laughs> they're still they're still just as steep the rivers are just as deep the nights yeah. are just as long yeah that don't change but everything around has changed yeah and that's the part that we feel and see yeah and uh, that's why i think we're yeah. we're we're, we feel so strong about the way it is and the way it was mm-hmm. and wanting it to be the way it was but it's never going to be that again. What are some of the big changes you've seen? Well, the the biggest change is technology. Yep. It's not it's not the it's 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 how it's done now. Mm-hmm. Access is a big issue, of course. Yeah. Yep. Um, and the technology that allows um, allows the ability to do it to, or not to do it but to be able to go there has created has changed it okay. and uh, i'm not saying for the worst <clears throat> i'm just saying that it's changed it it's different it's different yeah but the no mountains they got to be they're the same and they still got to be took care of, or like they can't take care of themselves fair enough you know what i mean yeah you know what i mean right. yeah. they can't fix it yeah and and so it's 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 a tough, a tough road to hold now. Yeah. 
going to attack you with the same types of questions, Wayne. Sure. Give us a bit about your background and your connection with the Musquakachik area. Okay, well, I grew up in uh, in Chetwynd, yep. and that's, you know, in the eastern slopes, a little bit further south than the Musquakachika. Yep. But I grew up there uh, as a uh, in a logging family and uh, hunting family, trapping family. And uh, then uh, the first year into the Musquakachika was in 1983, and a girlfriend and I went up there, and we did a, a 80... Uh, sorry, 1984, and we did an 85-day pack trip. Wow. Know. Yeah. <laughs> 85 days. Mm-hmm, 85 days wow. around the Toshodi and uh, Prophet River and all of that country. That's a long yeah. trip for a first trip. So you, you had to have had a lot of experience wrangling and horseback adventure. Yeah, I was that. guiding uh, prior to that, hunting okay. guiding, and, yeah. and uh, in the mountains down here, so, well, d- around Chetwynd yeah. for quite a few years. And uh, and then, uh, wow, uh, when I got up there, this is a whole new world. Yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous and it's yeah. big and, you know, the wildlife. And, yeah, I, I pretty much found heaven when I got up into that country. Yeah. yeah. And I hear uh, numbers of animals have were much thicker back then, too, like what you'd see in, on a trip. Yeah, we've... A lot uh, more moose and elk and deer and then the sheep and goats. They've taken a hit in the last, uh, you know, 10 years. It's no? Okay. Been, it's been an amazing difference now. and. And uh, we go out there every every summer. I, I have an ecotourism business, uh, Musquakachika Adventures. Yeah. And we take people out into the mountains and have for, well, since the early 90s yeah. into that country. And so seeing that for that long, you can tell, you know what's going on out there. And, and uh, yeah, the moose numbers, elk numbers, caribou yeah. numbers, uh, they're, um, they're not what they used to be. What do you attribute that to? You know, there's a, probably a lot of different causes, but because it's a, away from the roads, it's not associated with any roads, it's not associated with places that get too much hunting. I mean, the numbers numbers have gone down even in areas that are hardly hunted at all. Gotcha. So uh, I think the uh, the, the uh, criminal is cri- climate change. Okay. And, and I think what we've seen out there is uh, we've had these really strange events in January. We've had really warm weather yep. and, and rain events on yep. the snow. And the next spring, well, that, you know, as soon as that uh, snow hardens up, yep. then the wolves can just travel anywhere. And the next spring after that, you know, we find all these carcasses everywhere. And, yep. and so, you know, the wolves are doing the doing the damage, but uh, it's only because the conditions allow them to do it. Right. And yep. so I, I think it's a human cause problem personally. And I, I really do believe it's related to, well, climate change, but weather, you know, right. weather events. Yeah. Yeah. So... Given that, I, I think you know there's a really good chance it's going to come back, but mm-hmm. it might be uh, it might well, be slow. Yeah, those sort of things they don't they don't turn around quick. It's just like anything, um, you know, it's yeah. like a forest fire. A forest fire will burn until it goes out, but it'll in the process decimate the whatever the, the whole anything country, and everything, everything in its way, yeah. and then eventually it does come back in another fifty, sixty years. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is, yeah, those things will. But anything like like you say, the climate, whatnot, uh, it took how long to get to this stage? You know, it builds up slowly yeah. and this sort of thing, and yeah. then it takes just as long to re- rebound. To yeah, just as long to to make another change. Yeah, you know, it's and so it's it's a big picture. Yeah, it's not a not not a simple equation. No, and it's not going to no. be fast. No, and but it is coming back. I, mm-hmm. We're seeing more more sure wildlife enough. out there now than, okay. than we did even three four years ago. I I'm seeing more moose and more elk. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. it's it's turned it's turning around. Okay. It has turned around. Yep. I'm hearing stories of people going up there, and again, if we look at my uncle Rod, for example, who's yep. been hunting up there since the '80s, and he was river boating up there back in the day, and they he would talk about boating up there to, and seeing herds of 150 to 200 elk mm-hmm. commonly that was what you'd see sure. you'd go up there and it was just elk everywhere it was yeah. crazy how many elk he said they'd run into and he says now <clears throat> when you're up there and you see half a dozen elk here or there is it's it's not like the 150 to 200 but he says now what people are seeing or reporting are large wolf packs oh, and yeah. it's not just one there's multiple large wolf packs that that people are seeing up there now as well. But again, that's not their fault. It's not anything that the wolves are doing different. It's no. it's their access yeah. and their ability to stay on top of the hard pack to run down the animals. And yeah, there's a lot of different factors that factor into that. And yes, predation is huge. Yeah. But 
it's not something that's uh, totally uh, unique either. Um, we had the huge ungulate populations yeah. back in the 80s and yeah. 90s and whatnot that were created through a lot of management and whatnot. Yeah. Different, you know, well, let's just say it's fire. Fire. They burnt the east slopes. Yeah. yeah. Created yeah. this huge ungulate population. Well, yeah. along come the ungulates and their foods, and, and they, they're a food source, so the predators increased as well. Sure. Yeah. At, you know, six, eight pups at a time or whatever, not one calf at a time. Right. Whatever. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, and one goes hand in hand. Right. Okay. And then when the food supply is good, the predators right. go up but as then, well. Then in comes different dynamics or whatnot, and uh, the food source is taken out. Yeah. Or because it's or like the ungulates become so abundant that all of a sudden they're pressuring each other, whatnot. The, yeah. You know the. The, the elk are in the sheep ranges, the moose, you know, whatnot, the different pressures amongst them. And yep. then, so, of course, then we, as people, decide to manage that. Well, we yep. manage that through different tools of hunting regulations, blah, blah, whatever. Yep. But then on the other side, the predators, there's, no, there's not the, the same management yep. applied to them. And so all of a sudden, it's out of whack, and you got these huge predator issues. Yeah. And but yeah, we've we've taken away their lunch or half their lunch or whatever it is. Yeah. No wonder, it, you know, it it's it just too out of whack, and that's where I'm yeah. saying yeah. there's not the, the balance ain't there. Right. And uh, so, do you think there needs to be more focus on culling of predators, or, or what are your thoughts there? The, well, yeah. Well, there needs to be management. Yep. Like uh, more. It's a it's a crazy thing to try and do anymore with the political politics and the, yeah. all this kind of yeah. stuff. But but yes, there needs to be management on on that side of the the equation. Yeah. Like well, the bears we can't we we have no bear hunt anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the and the the, the wolf thing, the, pre, the the predators there. Yeah, there needs. There needs to be more management. Yeah, mm-hmm. It does. What and you, that's that's the problem. It's, it's out of balance. Yeah. On that exact note, I was just scribbling notes when you were mm-hmm. talking. What are your guys' thoughts on the whole BC bear ban on grizzly bear hunting? It's all politics. Well, I mean, uh, it's not a uh, an ecological issue. I mean, there's lots of bears out there on the ground, right? Yeah. So it's basically an animal rights issue. Mm-hmm. But how does that jive with what's with uh, you know what's going on in the ecosystem? Is if we're top heavy with bears, what does that mean for like moose, for instance? Because they're big predators in, in yeah. moose populations in the in the spring of the year, particularly, and yeah. those populations go down. So how you fix it, I don't know. But but closing off the hunt is definitely gonna gonna cause some issues out there on the ground. There's no question. And yeah. uh, and uh, you know what happens with uh, with ungulates is just one issue. I mean, there's safety issues as well. And, yeah. And yeah. so we're going to see, uh, you know, we're going to see issues arising from that too, because yeah. you know the the bears are conditioned uh, historically to you know fear people because you know they've got the guns. Yeah. But if you're not uh, hunting them or whatever, then that that kind of goes away, and then you end up with a different situation. Yeah. So yeah, there's going to be issues out there on the ground. Jim Chalky had a great write up when that. A uh, young lady was, and her child were eaten up north, uh, specifically on that, and and basically pointing the finger back at the government and the the grizzly bear hunts and stuff, saying she would probably be alive if That's if, right. and and we're seeing more and more of that. I don't know what you guys are seeing up north, but around here we're seeing a lot thicker grizzly populations, Tumbler Ridge, or um, out towards the Alberta border. Mm-hmm. They're thick. There's lots. I've got friends with trail cams set up in a few different spots, <clears throat> and they're seeing multiple grizzlies within a couple day span that where yeah. they'll see five, six, seven grizzlies, different bears passing by the cameras. Oh, yeah. It's that's common way, commonplace now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. No. So we need to get the bear hunt back. <laughs> well, that that's one of the tools. Yeah. That's one of the management things that we're talking about. Yeah. There's, there's only certain things that you're going to be able to do, you know, and it, 
it's so flipping much politics involved that yeah um well and that was that's all that was when when the NDP got elected in here they just had to appease the greens who they were had the coalition with so first thing they do here this will appease you overnight and 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 that's the issue these these areas like the Musquakachika and whatnot out here these wilderness areas yeah. are being are being managed or whatnot by people that or by groups or people that are not even don't even know where it is right those decisions are occurring in or what, that's Vancouver what I'm yeah. yeah it's not people with any kind of history on the ground or yeah. any kind of uh, background that's involved in 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 the decision making they need consultants like yourselves <laughs> that have spent a lot of time up in these areas I ain't political enough to do that <laughs> <laughs> but that's need a job that bad. unfortunately that's, that's right. what politics need is people that aren't well, political just to give this is the yeah. brass tax yeah but they'll never get there because there's too much common sense in them yeah i'm just saying yeah. <laughs> i don't want to do politics <laughs> fair no. enough yeah we got sidetracked. Yeah. Well, it's easy to get down a rabbit hole when you, you get into that, and I, I think yeah. we're all passionate about it as well. Yeah. Well, for sure. Um, back to the changes that you've seen in the last four to five years, do you, f- do you think there's anything that um, has caused those changes now that you're seeing the ungulate populations increasing? What's that attributed to? Well, I think uh, they have been doing some some wolf control. Oh, okay, and that certainly has helped. And I I think we've just had better winters. Like yeah. we've had some good some good uh, some good growing time. And, yeah. And I think the populations are just starting to rebound because of that. And again, because you know the wolf wolf uh, call has probably helped out a lot on that in certain areas for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's just going to take time. Yeah. And uh, you know the whether it's going to be fast enough for to satisfy everybody is another question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a, there is a lot of pressure out there on the land base. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and why wouldn't it be? I mean, it's the greatest place in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's no wonder everybody wants to go to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's no yeah. it's no no secrets. It's the greatest place in the world. And I I think this whole outdoor ecotourism, hunting, fishing, camping, this whole industry, for quite a bit of my youth had quite a negative stigma on it and we'll mm-hmm. call it the elmer fuds or the guys in the trucks drinking beer and shooting signs and that was the stigma that hunters had yeah and it's it's a double-edged sword where i find social media today and there's a lot of famous people in on social media that are have a are, are bringing a positive spin to it with the meat eater mm-hmm. type thing where they're talking about right from the adventure to the hunt to the table here it is and, and they kind of have more of a positive they've brought a positive light to it but on the other side of that sword is a lot more people now want to see it do it access it and i don't think there's enough animals out there for everybody to do it but we need the positive publicity so it's kind of there's there's a double-edged sword to that yeah and yeah and hunters are often their own worst enemy you know i mean they they're there's some yahoos out there that yeah they kind of Bad apples in the in the pail, right? Yeah. And uh, and when you, when you see what's uh, you know come into a camp and this is at Toshodi Lakes, mm-hmm. and somebody's been there with a shotgun and has, oh, okay. has mowed down about I don't know mm-hmm. a half a dozen good sized trees it. right I've in camp with wow. their with their rifles. I mean, mm-hmm. come on guys, like this is not yeah. this is not the way it should be. No. Or leaving trash around and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, hunters have to clean up their act too. Yeah. Sure. And uh, th- this is a first step in my opinion. Yeah. 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 No, there needs to be like like a, it's just management. It's what it is. Yeah, it needs more management of these areas because with the like I say, increased pressure, technology, whatever it is, bringing more pressure on it. Well, the people that are in charge or that have the right or the say in managing these areas need yeah. to tighten the screws up and get a little more management involved. Manage the people that are accessing. That's it what now. I'm saying. That's no, all yeah. we can ever manage. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Just yep. manage the, yep. the the people, the you know the hikers, the the, the hunters, the fishermen, the the yep. oil patch, the forestry, all the different things. Just has they just got to tighten the screws and get a little more management involved. Is there much for industry up there? Not in the Musquakachika. Good, no. very little right now. Very there's, little. there's a couple of gas wells operating, and and uh, but not much, not much. No. Yeah, and thankful 
for the Muskwakatika. That's what stopped it. Yes. In the in the beginning, it was or it would have been free for all. In Roads the, everywhere. It would have been not just like anywhere else. Yeah. Down the, out here, it was going yeah. that direction. It was headed down that rabbit hole or down mm-hmm. that route until yeah. the Muskwakatika got formed and and like yourself and whatnot and and got yeah. it set aside or yeah we'd have been right down that same road by now yeah that's right so we, we, we lost it we tied in with that back then and in, in, in fighting the that and, yeah yeah i was part of the campaign that created the muskokachika back in the day tell us more about that well it was it started in ni- late 92 and yeah. uh, basically there was a map that came out it was a map of undeveloped watersheds in bc yeah and so here's this big chunk this big chunk of wilderness left yeah and it's you know all Obviously, the biggest one in the Rocky Mountains by far. Yep. There was no other place nearly as big. Yep. And I knew this spot because I'd been in there. And holy cow, if that's the case, then this thing is, is too important to let slide or, yeah. or let be destroyed. So, yeah, I started a campaign in late 92. And so did uh, George Smith of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. Yep. And we teamed up early on in that. And, uh, and then the land and resource management planning process came along, the LRMPs. Yep which is basically a multi-sector planning process with everybody at the table. Mm-hmm. And we thrashed through uh, the issues for about a decade. And at the end of that, uh, yeah, we were advocating for the for the Muskwakachika as part of that during that mm-hmm. process. So okay. I was a table negotiator for, for environment conservation and with the, with the Muskwakachika as being the, the thing we wanted That's the most. focal point. That yep. was the thing we wanted mm-hmm. most, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we, were, we were successful after a decade and, and thankfully so. That's right. Because the thing was, uh, you know, uh, at that time, uh, there was uh, they were going for deep gas. Yep. And uh, the oil and gas was all along the eastern slopes, and they were starting to come into the mountains. Yeah. And uh, and those roads were going to shoot right up to the end of the Prophet River. Or, oh, wow. Or the end of the Sikany. Well, right. it was there's a well up at the Sikany, 70, more than 70 kilometers up there. Okay. Drilled at that time. And so it was a good example that, hey, something's got to be done. Yeah. So we said, okay, well, what we need to do is have pre-planning. Mm-hmm. Like, let's figure out ahead of time what we're going to do here before we sell these tenures and everything. And so that was put in. And and then, they re- and then fortunately, the, the shale gas came on stream right at that time. Yep. And all the pressure just swung outside because it's <laughs> cheaper and easier and all that. And Not a lot of the shale sands up in that, not sh- shale sands, the shale, shale stone gas. up there. Yeah, those formations don't extend into the Muskwakachika. Perfect. They come right up to the edge of it. And stop there. And stop there. And so, hey man, this is fantastic. Yep. Because uh, everybody's uh, happy now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the oil and, guys, oil and gas guys have their sandbox. And yeah. <laughs> those right. people who like the wild places, they have their sandbox. Yeah. It's oh, all, it's, it's all good. Yeah, we, we've seen such, again, Born and raised in Dawson Creek from the places that I hunted with my grandfather and my parents when I was young. Sure. Access, there were a lot of spots that we were, we'd be the only people in there hiking in or quadding in down a goat trail and then hiking in and stuff that there's now just super highways everywhere. And when you fly over this area, it's just a, just a map, just connect the dots and you can see all the. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. So if we, if we hadn't done anything, uh, you know, we'd end up with the same thing in the Muskwakachikas everywhere else. There'd be roads everywhere. That's yeah. how it would have went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Money talks. It was going that direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, double-edged sword because that's that's what fuels our economy here, right? You know, that's... I have no problem with, with the oil and gas industry. It's just that it can't be everywhere. Nope. Right? Or forestry can't be everywhere. Yeah. Right? None of, no, nobody can have it all. Yeah. And so we just need places that, yeah, okay, we have industry here. Boundary. And that's what the LRMPs did, basically. It zoned it and said, this is yeah. the high-intensity area, and these yeah. are the low-intensity, and here's areas where, that are off-limits. Yeah. And it's a balance, right? It's yeah. a balance across the land base. And I don't think there's any other way to do it that makes sense. Well, it, it's proved it, that that was the way. Yeah. Because here we are today, we still have a Muskwakachika. That's yeah. right. You know, and so exactly. obviously was the right choice. Yeah. Whether or not it, it made everybody happy and warm and fuzzy, I don't know. But obviously that's where it is. Yeah. So. <laughs> and it's still, yeah. it's, it's I, I, for me, 40 years later, to be able to go in there and access mm-hmm. it a difficult way, we'll say, whether it's by plane or by boat mm-hmm. or hiking mm-hmm. in for a couple of days, yeah. it's still as beautiful as the day you guys went in there. Oh, absolutely. Might not be as many animals, but it's mm-hmm. pretty awesome that, that it is. Well, I, you know, if we if we have the habitat, yeah. the animals will come back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. And so we... Yeah. That's, that's part of the management thing, I feel, is we've lost 
a huge part of the habitat for them. It, um, that created, like back in the 80s and Yes, whatnot, that's true. Yeah. The, when when the, the huge ungulate populations were created, most of them was, was due to the burning. Oh, yeah. yeah. And burning program that created yeah. this. Well, that's been off the table for long enough now that a good percentage of that country has lost the habitat. It's burnt. Yeah. It's come back to brush, um, just not conducive to some of the, the species. The Wild, and, the Wild Sheep Society still does controlled burns, but I think they're smaller. Well, yes. I We were involved in one here just okay. a few years back yeah. on the Tishogi. And... Uh, and yes, we did. We were able to do a burn, yeah. and uh, it was successful. And that's the sort of thing that needs to carry on. Yeah, to, to it's all part of the whole big picture. Yeah. If we look at how and how what this area, how it was created, and and some of the dynamics that created it. Yeah. If we want to see that again, mm-hmm. we have to we we have to use that same recipe. Yeah. And, and that was part of it. I, I, I really feel strong about that because, like I say, on the Trudy Valley, um, I'll bet we've lost 75% of our habitat, our really? elk habitat. Oh, okay. that's, why, that's why the elk, they, they just won't live there. Yeah. The habitat's gone. Hmm. It's not that we've killed them all or, right. or whatever else. It's not conducive to... They're somewhere, they've gone, they, they won't... Pushed out? Yeah. They won't live where they can't... Yeah, they, it's too brushy. And it's too brushy. Too they, you know, they're a, a grass, uh, they feed on grass. Yeah. They're not a browser, like a yep. moose and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and uh, for safety and, and different dynamics, you know, different ways of them surviving, they've lost their habitat. I've seen it. Yeah, in the twenty years I've yeah. been on the show, I've seen I've seen it go. Makes sense. It's it's not there anymore. How do we ramp that up? Get some matches. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> if you want to go right to cut yeah. to the kill, buddy. Yeah. Got to get some valley on fire. Yeah. Got to get some fire again. Get some of that brush out of there. Yeah. And the whole east slope's that way. You talk to anybody along the yeah. uh, whole east side, whole east slope. I'll tell you the same flipping thing. Yeah. We've lost our habitat. And that's that's not a new thing. I mean, it's not it, new. First Nations were, were doing it for well, hundreds and probably thousands of years yeah. prior yeah. to this. And that's what created all that's, that habitat that, initially. That's what I was just going to say. You go yeah. all the way down into Alberta and all that country and that yeah. grasslands. You go out there and look at them big old brushy north slopes and whatnot and them big old prairies on the south side. You think that was natural? Hey. Someone way back yeah, yeah. sometime left the <laughs> oh, no, they were, left they the were campfire burning. First Nations were managing the land. That's they what were, I'm yeah. saying. That's what created it. like the Tishodi was a, yeah. is a, a tish, is a is a First Nations um, name. Tishodi means blue water, and that's back in the day created right. those places. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so yeah, you gotta you gotta get back into history, figure out the recipe. Yeah, and. Uh, because since man's been on this earth, we've been screwing it up. So, yep. um, and, and affecting it, yep. and changing it, and making places this way and that way. Yeah. And this East Slope was just part of that whole process. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, the First Nations populations were there was a lot of a lot of folks out on the land. Yeah, sure. uh, when we go up, uh, you know, we're going over a remote pass, which we think is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then you look down and here's an artifact. Somebody has been there, <laughs> you know, making a tool in the past. And mm-hmm. the whole country was used That's and right. managed as That's well. Right. They and, were managing And in those days, it wasn't, yeah. uh, it was a different climate, a different, uh, uh, <laughs> they did what they needed to do. Yeah, that's true. There was no rules. Yeah. They made them. Yeah, they made them. And if they needed something done, let's get her done. Do it. Yeah. And it's their survival. It meant survival. Yeah. It wasn't recreation or nothing. Right. It was. It was a way of life. Yeah. We got to have grass. We got to have meat. We got to have shelter, whatever it was. Yeah. It's too bad uh, Ryan Dickey wasn't here. He's he's the third artist in the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's the First Nations from, from Fort Nelson. Yep. And uh, I'm sure he could tell you a lot of stories about about that because he's got sure. the history in the country, right? So we might have to get him in here still for a podcast. I think it's a good, I think I think it's a good plan. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's what it's all about, getting the stories out there and, yes. and sharing them with people because so many people want to hear them. Yeah. And, and hear the history and mm-hmm. that's where it's at for sure. And having a different perspective and coming from, from his background would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's excellent. Tell me about um, 
in in your little write up that Marcia did for the yep. art gallery, you're yep. tied in with the Yukon to Yellowstone. Why do I? Why yep. do I? Yep. yep. Tell me about that. And, and I'm asking from, I'll say, uh, a naive perspective and hearing the positives and the negatives with yep. the caribou, the land closures, those sorts of things. And then if you get down the deep rabbit holes, the big organizations in the states that are funding it. And then there's, again, you can get tie, get get down a rabbit hole yep. about, oh, well, yep. what, are the, what are those big organizations yep. really pushing for and stuff? So tell me a bit about Yukon sure. Yellowstone. Why, why do I? I? Well, I, I know quite a bit about the why do I. I was out on uh, on the the Caribou Range, which is on Keeley Creek, uh, with Harvey Locke, and this was in uh, the early '90s. Yep. And uh, Harvey Locke was a great conservationist. He was with Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, and I I was on the board at that time. And um, uh, he comes out of his tent in the morning. And he's written on the side of the the map. He said, "You know, we went out yesterday and we counted 26 moose and a and a, and a few elk and some caribou." We went out the next day in a different direction, counted 27 moose and a bunch of elk <laughs> and some caribou. He, he said it was it was just so rich. Yeah. He said, and then I realized that looking at this landscape with this richness, that richness extends all the way down the Rocky Mountains, all yeah. the way from, well, it, well, where we were, which was, you know, the Sikany, basically, yeah. south to wherever you want to go, down to Yellowstone. Mm-hmm. And, then he, and then he realized, no, it's up to the Yukon as well. And so on his map, he wrote out basically the outline of Yellowstone to Yukon, this corridor of life all the way along the Rocky Mountains. And to me, I, I said, you know, this is absolutely the way we have to look at the landscape, you know, as a whole. Yep. And to provide a corridor of bi- a biodiversity uh, health, a lifeboat for the future for the whole continent, if you want to put it that way. So there's been a lot of politics and, and stories and stuff, but from my perspective... Why to Why is looking at, at protecting that entire big chunk, yep. but not in a way that you know, is going to come down and put the hammer on anybody. Yep. It's going to say let's let's work this out, work this through, mm-hmm. and try and maintain that that habitat and and that uh, corridor forever for everybody. And to, from my perspective, that was exactly the way we had to do it. Yep. So I was on the board of Why to Why as a result for more than a decade. Oh, okay. And uh, and I really valued that time because it was uh, it was important and I think the the work was important. And I still gotcha. believe it's really really important. Yep. And, and and if we don't do that, what are we going to do? Just let it be all frittered away? Let it be all destroyed? This doesn't make any sense. No. If we're no. going to destroy this the wildlife in the Rocky Mountains, what are we left with? Yeah. No, we we have to absolutely do it. Yep. So, uh, yeah. It was I want to say someone that sat on city council at tumbler ridge that first yeah. was battling it let's put it that way was had had a to do with the coal mines out there and trying yeah. to stop expansion and thing and tied in with um what's happening now with all the caribou closures and that sort of thing so that was the the first first side of it that yeah. that was brought to my attention and then digging deeper into it and stuff but i mean that's that's a a perfect explanation for it yeah that makes and, sense and the, the caribou closures well I, I don't think you can actually give white white credit for that that was a government thing yep but uh you know again what are we going to do are we going to let the caribou go like is that the plan no i, I don't think, think anyone so. wants to see that i don't think so no and so we have to figure out a plan that you know if you put, put snowmobile up in the caribou areas they're going to go extinct that's yep. just how it is yeah because the wolves start to travel it no we got to Get some separation there with those animals yeah. that are left, yeah. and make there's enough land base for everybody. Right, but we might have. And it's to, about it's might, about working together to figure that out. Exactly yeah. right, and then there might be some areas where we can't go for a little while, and we have to put it off, and yeah. you know we have to make we have to make work that through. It'll be give and take for sure. That's how it has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> well, I, this is not my first conversation on Why to Why. I was, I, well, I don't I was know sitting that. on a table with, with Jack Monroe. I don't know if you know Jack Monroe. I know Jack, Monroe. yeah. yeah. And uh, we did not get along, <laughs> as you might imagine. He was with the, the IWA at that time, I'm pretty sure. And, yeah, that, we were discussing Why to Why. It was a, it was a short but very animated conversation. <laughs> what, was, what was his take on it? Oh, he was uh, deadly opposed to it. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, because it's basically jobs from his perspective. Yeah. But I think it's just closed-mindedness and narrow-mindedness. And it's saying, look, it, we, we have to protect this land base for the long term. Yep. And that means that some jobs we might forego in the short term. I don't even think that's true, but may, you know, given that it is. Yep. But in the long run, we're going to have more. Everybody's going to have more jobs, you know, over time. Right? right. If we use up all our resources in a, you know, just a short a few decades, 
then where, what do we do then? Oh, for sure. So yeah, you, you can't. Do we wait around for the trees to grow? I mean, <laughs> don't get me started on forestry. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, it, it's and on my my side, I sit on the board um, of people just giving input on the whole caribou okay. from yep. from our our side of it, right? On yep. just access for people on crown land for hunting, fishing, and that sort of thing. And there, but there's a lot of the snowmobile crews and clubs and stuff yep. like that involved, as well as the sure. chambers in Chetwin, Fort St. John. Chetwin, Fort St. John, Tumblr, and Dawson are all members, so we're all just giving feedback and input yeah. and sitting and listening. Listening, and I mean, it's very frustrating working with the government. I'll, I'll, I'll lay that out there, and you can give lots of feedback, and then seeing what they do or don't do with it is like, it can be frustrating. But, but overall, I mean, I, I think we're all on the same page that we all want to see the land taken care of. We want to see the yes. caribou numbers taken care of. We we let's continue to, to farm them and, and work with the the First Nations that are, are doing yeah. that and. And I, on the flip side, I'd say let's open that up to more people. Let's get more people involved with that as well, mm-hmm. using the, the model that works and yeah. and working together and coming up with that plan for sure. Because yeah. like you say, I don't want to see any of these herds disappear. I don't think anybody does. No. You know, no. We might yeah. disagree how to get there. That's all. Exactly. I mean, let's, yeah. work that, let's work through that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, we all have to live here. Yeah. You know? We're all from here. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <That's> exactly. <right. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if we were to, to come back full circle and get back into the uh, the art, tell me about your guys' art. I know, um, well, I'll, I'll let you guys speak about it. I won't I won't jump in and tell you what I what I've seen sure. and what I know. But who wants to start first? Larry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I don't know. I never ever set out to be an artist. I don't think, <laughs> according to be. You just got into leather work. Well, that's where I started. Was. Um, in well, 1981, went to Oklahoma. Yeah. For a year, to learn to build uh, custom-made cowboy boots. Yeah. And saddles, custom saddles. And uh, I, in '82, the spring '82, I actually came back here to Dawson, and worked with Kenny Cameron, who had a little stampede shop. Yeah. Western store down here on the corner. He was a great friend of my grandpa's. And he, he tremendous yeah. man. Yeah. Very credible craftsman. Yeah. And uh, I spent three years with him. Yeah. And he basically gave me the recipe of what it's going to take. Um, and it's just like anything, whether you're going to build a gun or whatever it is, there's a recipe. Yeah. you got to do certain things right. Yeah. And anyway, Kenny, he spent, like I said, I spent three years with him, and he kind of gave me the recipe. And then it was... 30 years of <laughs> downhill from there. <laughs> but anyway, no, it, it was it was something that I I, I always, I guess I always kind of had a little bit of an artsy-fartsy part, side to me, whatever you want to call it. Well, you must have. You had talent. Like, stuff that you're turning out. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a deal where, I, I yeah, I, I went ahead and, and kind of got to where I was able to do some leather work and, yeah. and had a, had a few shops or you know saddle shops and whatnot and, yeah and uh was mostly in the custom end of things with custom orders but i did have a repair business and whatnot too to for cash flow but anyhow um as i all through those same years i was in the mountains too i'd go and guide every year in the fall yeah so i was around this uh, you know the hunting industry all my life too and of course the horns and the antlers and everything that you handle and all that Eventually, somehow, I got this wild hair idea that maybe I could put my leather stamping patterns, my floral pattern, yeah. on a horn or an antler. Yeah. Dang it, that'd be kind of different, wouldn't it? <laughs> and so uh, I endeavored to figure out how to get that done, and, and uh, I went and got a Dremel drill, of course, yeah. and that was the, the beginning. Drew a little flower and whatnot on there, and yeah. figured out how to grind her yeah. out, and then it just tra- it kind of went from there. I got a little bit more uh, equipment and whatnot, and and then yeah, it's just really grew lately, and I've been able to spend the time and effort in and and figure it out, and and it's kind of starting to look like something. <laughs> and, oh, it's uh, amazing! It is amazing. The uh, so anyway, that's that's kind of where it come from. Is yeah. is from 
on my leather business. Yeah, okay. And uh, very different methods, though, to create that art from leather. Like well, to it, me, they don't. One doesn't tie directly into the no, other one because of the tools that you use to get that, the finished result. Right. And that—that's the difference. It was—it was a matter of figuring out how to duplicate that. Yeah. Like to get the same kind of look. Yeah. On the make, antler. Because I, I understood how to do it in the, in the yeah, leather yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And then just to get the right tools and the right technique to turn that in and make it look the same as that. Yeah. And if it didn't look right, grind her out and do it again. Well, and I mean, your your yeah. flower, your, your floral patterns and stuff are beautiful, but then you take that one step further and you've got the intricate lace behind, or what looks like lace, well, which has to take forever to make that, oh, yeah, that like, lace to look like that this, in behind. This is not a quick process, <laughs> by any means, but um, I've got a recipe. Yeah. Like I can keep going back to this recipe thing. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, I've kind of, I've kind of got a system to to lay it out, and uh, always looking for that horn or that antler's got a little bit of a artistic twist to it anyway, yeah. or something's got some appeal. Yeah, it's got a, like you can just take a flat old piece of whatever and draw it on there. Yeah, it's, it's it is what it is. But but the antler you, could be part of the art. Yeah, you you start getting something with a little bit of uh, uh you know attraction to it. Yep. Yeah. And then put put a pattern on it, and it, yeah. it really turns into something. Very cool. So that, that's kind of where it's come from and what it's done. What are your thoughts on types of antler or horn, and what do you like to work with, and are there type, types you don't like to work with? Um, you know, it's pretty intriguing how each horn almost, or antler. See, there's a difference between horns and antlers. Yep. Okay, your antlers, they're... They're calcium or whatever. Like, they fall off every, every year. Every year and, and, yeah, and, and so disintegrate down to nothing that's within. That's right. They're a, and they're hard. Boy, like horn, deer horns and moose horns and whatnot. They're hard, boy. They're And, and they they carve different than a sheep horn. Oh, okay. Like, a sheep horn is, is hair. It's is, is the same yep. as, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's grown from hair originally. Or yep. That's how it developed. Yeah. And so it's a different. Totally different material. Material. And it is soft. It oh, is really? incredibly soft and quick to cut. Boy, you can screw it up so fast. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a different material. Yeah. And it's the same thing. I'm doing a buffalo horn right now. Oh, yeah. And it's a horn again. And yeah. by golly, it's just like that old sheep horn. Yeah. Really soft. Yeah, you don't you don't push too hard on it. And mm. and but a but a moose horn and, and, and horns are harder, a lot harder. The, the antlers, the moose and the elk and the deer. Antlers, yep. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, um, if there's one more suited to work than the other or for, you know, that I like to work more than the other, um, I don't, I'm not going to say one is any nicer or not. Okay. I just, just use different, different technique yeah, and tool. Yeah, I, I like I use carbide burrs and, and diamond burrs. Oh, okay. And, uh, and uh, carbide burrs, burrs don't work in the soft horn. Oh, okay. They cook it. They, they burn it. Yeah. They, they don't cut. You got to have your carbide. Interesting. So it just melts and. It just turns, yeah, it just burns. It's yeah. Just, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work like a carbide burr. You got to have a carbide burr hmm. in, a, in, a, in a horn. Gotcha. Yeah. But then it depends on what equipment you're using. Yeah. Like the, the, the rotary tool that I use is virtually the same thing as a dentist use. Oh, uh, yeah. Tool. Okay. Yeah. And actually the burrs and, and tips that I use are dental burrs, a lot of them. Because you're grinding bone. That's right. (laughs) And fine intricate. But it's it's turning 300,000 RPM. This little tool. It's it's an air tool. Right on 40 pounds of pressure. Yeah. But um, it's turning 300,000. A Dremel turns 30. This thing's turning 10 times faster than Dremel. Wow. And boy, it just got so pretty. You can just just do whatever you want with it. Yeah. It's it's a neat neat little tool. It's so smooth. No vibration, nothing. Yeah. And so, like I said. Your hand's not numb after 20 minutes like a Dremel. Oh, they're numb anyway. They're gone. They're shot. But just the same. No, you're right. It's it's made for the carving industry. Yeah. It's a carving uh, handpiece. Yeah. And, and it works just like I say. It sounds just like a dental drill. So mm-hmm. if you don't like dental drills, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, come into Larry's workshop. And it does. It winds just like a dentist drill. So but. do you do you think you spend um, more of your time focused on that or leather or kind of a fifty-fifty you know, split? Lately, um, Aaron, I've I've been just kind of focusing on my art, on the on my horns. Okay. Uh, really, it's been 
kind of turning into something or kind of getting me kind of enthused about it. Yeah. Right and I've done, <laughs> I'm fussier than hell if I take a saddle order or boot order anymore. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm finding. I'm pretty damn unreliable, boy. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be carving horns. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, no, I'm spending away virtually most of my time carving horns. I, I'm doing some leather work, but yep. it's, it, it's more of a job. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I did it. For you don't a have living. your passion for it like you used to. No, no, I did it for a living for thirty years or yep. whatever. You know, yep. and and it turned into a job. Yeah. And now. I've got this new gig on the works, and it kind of is doing the doing it for me. So resparked your interest. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and on the, on the other hand, though, I'll build if I'm going to build something like in the leather business, I I, I want to build something nice, something really really different, not just pound out some copper rivets and right, you know, <laughs> back rigging. <laughs> I want to do the nice <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I say, I'm fussier and heck in the leather business. Good. Now. Good. But what the hell? You can be. I find it's a dying art. It's tough to find people to do leather work and it's to do huge. quality leather work. Mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've got a couple in this area that we have do holsters for us, and we're very fortunate mm -hmm. to have them for, for knives and pistols and stuff like that. But no, no. there's not a lot of young people taking it on. It, it's a dying Technology. art. Technology. Yeah. Nobody wants to sit here for two hours and, and just sit and here do and think, clink, clink, yeah. packing away or something, and then. Yeah, no, no, it's it's just the way the world is. That's, yeah. that's where mm -hmm. we're at, that's all. Yeah, how do I get my computer to pump out this leather? Well, they do, they got <laughs> Just her. laser at you. That's right, that's what yeah. I say, that's what's available now. Yeah, and it's not the same as a hand-stamped no, no. holster or and, boots. Uh, well, or... The, the, the biggest issue is you can't make your old hands work fast enough to pay your mortgage. Right. That's yep. the right. bottom line. Right. Yeah. That, we're, we're what doing would you it. have to charge to make a living? That's what I'm saying. Today. You can't yeah. charge enough. Yeah. And people won't pay that much. Right. And so yeah. that's just the way of the world. Yeah. It's just the way things are going. You, you, you got to pay your mortgage. And, and yeah. if your hands are only working half time for you, then it's going to, you're going to go do something else. Go become an operator. <laughs> that's it. That's the name of her, man. That's the peace region. It, yeah. There's no secrets. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is where it is. Yeah. Wayne, tell us about your art. My art is uh, photography, basically. So I've been packing a, a camera out there for, well, all my life. Yeah. So the, the pictures that have got, kind of got saved up, some of them are artistic. Yeah. And so those are the ones that they'll be using in the show. Or some. We were fortunate enough to have one of yours hanging here for the oh. last week. Oh, right on. Um, and it was, well, I'm, you weren't the one taking the photo. You're in it with a horse. Okay. Overlooking a mountain, and someone else took the photo of you guys. That it was would just... be Mr. Ryan Dickey, who took that picture. Well, well there we go. And Ryan First Dickey. First class yeah. photographer, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Marsha dropped it off and asked if we'd put one on display with oh, a poster. Good. Oh, right on. And a beautiful... Okay, so that's Ryan's. My apologies. No problem. But you're in it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, yes, that's right. And your horse? My horse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have a 20-horse pack string that we head out of the mountains with and yep. up until this year it's been about three months at a, a out of every summer we'd spend on the trail yeah yeah so this summer i'm taking a little bit of time off and yeah i let i've got let my crew do the, the long trips yeah it's a sign of the times yeah yeah tell us and i mean i don't want to divert from the art but tell us yep. a little bit more about your business well, I, we basically, well, it's ecotourism, so yep. no hunting. Hunting. Yep. There is some uh, fishing, angling, guiding. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, people come and join us for a week or two weeks on the trail. And in the Musquecachica, I mean, you're way beyond the roads and oh, no yeah. people. Yeah. And so they get an experience that, you know, it's world class. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we've got some good horses. We've been using them for more than 20 years, some of them. Yeah. And they're good good boys and uh, do a good, great job for us. Awesome. And how does someone find you if they're interested in jumping on in on one of these trips? Because again, this reaches out all across Canada, sure. and, and there are people all across. So if they wanted to do one of these once in a lifetime eco trips, uh, just look up Muskokichika Adventures, okay, MK Adventures, and Wayne Sawchuck, and you'll get connected. Excellent. Yep. Perfect. Right on. And so, um, starting Thursday. There is Ryan Dickey's movie on the Musquakachika at the K-Pack, or at K-Pack here in town at 6.30. Um, and then Friday is the gallery opening at 6.30 again. Limited capacity, yeah. so don't yeah. rush the doors and come down, but uh, they will do their best to get everyone that shows up through it. Uh, do you know what's happening for, for that opening? 
on Friday with uh, limited capacity? Well, they're going to be using COVID rules, but uh, mm-hmm. so I'm sure there'll be masks that will yeah. be required. Yeah. But other than that, I, uh, I'm not sure Are you guys sure speaking or anything at that? We will do a little bit of okay. speaking. We, I think we have to do that, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. I'll, doesn't I'll, have to be long. I'll practice. <laughs> it doesn't have to be long. <laughs> yeah, we will, we will be saying a few words. Excellent. Have that thing. And then Saturday is the big opening with an outdoor event, weather permitting, yeah. but... Uh, the meat doctor will have the meat wagon there. They will have a liquor license, so alcohol will be served. And people will be able to meet the artists, meet you guys. Right on. And hear your stories. <laughs> right well, on. Excellent. There's one more thing that Marsha wanted me to throw out there. Um, for anyone out there that has excellent pictures of the Musquakachika watershed, she would love to put them on display as well. You can email them to ed at dcartgallery.ca and she will print them off and put them up at the very end of the entire exhibit, just kind of the tie in the community okay. that's been out there. Uh, just send those photos into Marsha and she will print them off and get them hung up there just to show other people's experiences with it as well. Right on. So anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up? I can't thank you guys enough for coming in. You know, we could talk about the Muscogee, I'm sure, for hours and hours and hours. If yeah. you've been there once, you're going to want to come back, right? Well, oh, you will. Yeah. yeah. Start, and start some trail stories and you, you ain't got enough tape here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. God's yeah. country, some of the nicest nicest well, part of Canada, I'd say. Well, it's, it's just amazing. I mean, yeah, when you get up on a big, a big high ridge and you look out over those mountains and you know there's not a road as far as you can see. Yeah. This is natural country. Yeah, wild, and you realize how country. small you are well, when you're up that, there. There's that too. Which was a real eye-opener when you're standing on top of that mountain and it's just, the world is just phenomenal. And We live in one of the nicest parts for sure. No question about it. Yeah. No question. Well, thank you very much, yeah, gentlemen. Thank you. Check it out. You can go to the Dawson Creek Art Gallery's Facebook page for more information on the Art Gallery opening, and it will be running for at least 30 days. So stop in and check it out. Right on. Thank you very much, guys. Really do appreciate it. Appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thank you, sir.